Genesis chapter 49, starting reading at verse 29. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abram brought for, for, bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such were the days required those who are, in, who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favour in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. And my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. When they had come to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name, which was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan. And buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us. And may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, 
Please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. We're going to pray now and ask for his help to understand it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for these stories in the book of Genesis, this history of your people here on earth. And we pray that you would help us as we examine this passage together. Help us to understand what it is you are teaching your church here today in this place and at this time. We ask, O God, for the help of your Holy Spirit because we are aware that this is not just an intellectual exercise, but this is a spiritual exercise. And we pray that you would help us to understand and believe what you're teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we um, as a congregation don't very often say the Lord's Prayer. And I think we probably don't say it nearly as often as we should. Um, Since I came to be your minister nearly four years ago, I think we've probably said it maybe two or three times as a congregation. And so there's always room for improvement for me as your minister, as I plan and and prepare our services. But I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, will we probably know the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you say it during personal devotions or during family worship. Maybe some of the boys and girls pray it in school. One of the lines of the Lord's Prayer that that has always convicted me as I pray it is the line where we say, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
praying for the return of Jesus. Praying for the kingdom of God to come here on earth. It's always kind of scared me. It's, it's something I pray and it convicts me to ask the question, is that what I actually want? I want to challenge you today with the same thought. Are you happy for all of your plans to be stopped? Everything that you have ready to go for, for celebrating Christmas. All of the foods and presents you will enjoy. What about the plans you've made for the new year? Maybe you're looking forward to next summer already, the, the brighter nights, the longer days. What about longer term plans? Is there a big birthday coming up? Maybe it's even longer than that. What about seeing your children walk the aisle and get married? Are you happy for all of that to be gone in an instant? Because Christ has returned and brought his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you be happy to forgo all the Christmas presents for the return of Jesus between now and then? It's a challenging thought, isn't it? But I want you to think about it as something that brings contentment. It brings comfort to us as believers. If we were able to pray, thy kingdom come with absolute conviction. That that was the most important thing to us. Not that planning for the future isn't important. Of course, it's important to plan for the future. But isn't there freedom in planning for the future and saying, do you know what? That future's in God's hands. That might never come to pass because of what God is doing and the great hope that his son will return. And our plans will never come to pass. It would give us freedom, wouldn't it? In a world where, where things are always changing. In a world where things don't always work out according to our plans. A world where trusting the future to God is the only way to live in happiness and in joy. You see, the great hope of the Christian faith is not that our plans for a family holiday would come to pass. The great hope of the Christian faith is an eternity spent with the Good Shepherd who fills our cups to overflowing. The Good Shepherd who leads us beside still waters. The Good Shepherd who restores our souls. And that's the great hope that we see it play out in the last few chapters of the book of Genesis. The blessing of Jacob upon his own sons and upon the sons of Joseph. And then as we read about Jacob and Joseph both going to their death. Both of them do so in great hope. Both of them die in the hope of a God who keeps his promises. A God who is always working to bring about his purposes. And it is because God is sovereign and faithful that his people can die in peace. With the hope that God will fulfill his promises 
in their future. We should be comforted today. Comforted because our God is sovereign. And so through the change, through bad times and even through death, God is at work. We need to trust our sovereign God to fulfill his promises. We've been this year looking really at the story of Joseph since September. And something we haven't done yet is look to the New Testament and see what the New Testament says about Jacob and Joseph. I want to read a section from Hebrews chapter 11. You'll be familiar maybe with Hebrews 11. It's, it's that chapter in the Bible which gives us the, the saints of old, those from the Old Testament who by faith looked to Jesus. This is what it says about Jacob and Joseph, verses 21 and 22. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. You see, even in death, when they were dying, both Jacob and Joseph looked forward. That's what Hebrews tells us about the saints of old. They lived by faith and they looked forward in faith. Jacob blessed his sons. He blessed the sons of Joseph. Because he knew that even though he would be gone, God would continue with them. Whenever Jacob was buried with his fathers, God would continue to keep his promises and be with his people. Joseph looked forward to that day when the children of Israel would leave the land of Egypt and they would return to the promised land. And he gave instructions about how his, his body, his bones were to be kept and brought up with them to the promised land. He knew, Joseph knew who God was and he knew that God keeps his promises, that God would fulfill his promise to bring his people back to the land of Canaan. And I think it's at least interesting to notice that this is hundreds of years after the promise made to Abraham. And yet still there is only one small piece of land in all of Canaan that was in the possession of Abraham's children. Only this field, this burial ground in Machpelah belonged to them. And they're not dwelling there any longer. They've, they've come down as a, as a whole unit. The whole family have come down to Egypt. And yet Joseph looks forward in faith. He, he, he believes in a God who is so great and so strong and so mighty. But he looks forward to the day when the children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will return to the promised land. And take possession of it. And so sure is Joseph. That as he's dying he leaves instructions. For how they're to bring his body with them. When they make the return. And so the lessons that Jacob and Joseph had learned. About God in this life by faith. Allowed them to look forward 
in faith to the life to come. They knew that God would be with them forever. For them, the coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven wasn't something that they were scared about because it would disrupt their plans. It was a source of great comfort and hope and joy. Now, I'm no expert in astronomy, but I understand this. I understand that light travels at a certain speed. And so whenever you look into space, and whenever you look through a telescope, you're actually looking into the past. Because the light that you're watching left the stars some time ago. Well, I think we can understand some of these lessons uh, that Jacob and Joseph have learned from God and about God. As if their faith was like a telescope. And our faith can be like a telescope. Which allows us not to look into the past, but into the future. That's what faith does. They knew that God was for them through their lives and they knew that he wouldn't stop bringing about his plans and purposes. So they were able to look forward in faith into the future. They were even able to look beyond death. Would not be wonderful to look beyond your own death? So today I I want to wrap up our series in Genesis by pointing out a couple of those lessons that God used to bring Joseph and Jacob into this point where they were able to look beyond death to the other side as though looking through a telescope to the future promises of God. We have a faithful God who is sovereign. And I hope that each one of us can live and die knowing that God will fulfill every one of his promises in this life and in the next. And to help us think this through, we can't concentrate on every verse in the passage from Genesis 48 right through to the end of of Genesis. I want to zoom in on just a couple of verses I want to think first of all about Jacob and then about Joseph. We spent a fair bit of time with Jacob over the last two years. He's went through a lot. Can you think back to the the start of the story of, of Joseph, born Esau's brother, tricking his brother Esau out of the birthright? He spent a long time serving his father in law as a shepherd, looking after flocks to earn the right to marry. Lot's daughters, Leah and Rachel. He has dealt with deception and he has also dealt in deception. The great deceiver, Jacob. You remember what happened at Bethel, how he he met with God miraculously and, and wrestled with God. Do you remember how he saw the stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending upon it? And then he was, he was reconciled with his brother Esau. He has built up a family. He has amassed a great deal of wealth, including many animals. And now in his last years, he's come down to Egypt. Everything has changed again for Jacob. 
But he spends a very peaceful retirement of 17 years in Egypt before he dies. He has seen God's hand in the good and in the bad that's happened to him. And as he's about to drop his feet into the bed to die, he summons up strength to have one last conversation with his sons. He wants to impart some final wisdom before he's gathered to his people. There's lots we could say about Jacob's speech. He gives a blessing to each one of his sons. He gives a blessing to Joseph's sons. Perhaps the the most significant prophecy here is the one that he says to Judah, the, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And we know that that's pointing forward to the line of King David coming in Judah's line and And then even more particularly, David's greater son, the Lord Jesus, being in Judah's family line. But the one verse I want to zoom in on is a verse of blessing that Jacob makes to the sons of Joseph in chapter 48 and verse 15. If you have your Bible there, turn to chapter 48 and verse 15. Jacob needs his grandsons to know what God is like. No doubt Joseph had told them about God, but remember these boys were born in Egypt. They weren't born among the family. They weren't born where their grandfather was and their uncles and their cousins. And so Jacob in this blessing needs to tell them what God is like. And we can see the words that he uses in verse 15. He says, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, The God who has fed me all my life long to this day. I'm sorry to say that this is one of those places where the King James and the New King James version don't get the translation quite right. He does say that God has fed him, but the the Hebrew is a much more vivid image to tell us what God is like. I want to read from the English Standard Version. I think it captures the Hebrew better. This is what Jacob says. He says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The image that Jacob, who knows a thing or two about shepherding, the image that he says to his sons and his grandsons at the point of his death is to say, The Lord is my shepherd. And I just love that. I think it's class. The Lord is my shepherd. It's no wonder that that the boy David, whenever he was sitting on the hillside, hundreds of years later, looking out over his father's sheep, as a hymn of praise to God, he penned Psalm 23. No doubt, David knew the words of Jacob, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a wonderful truth. And Jacob isn't the only one so many people today find this comforting at the point of death and upon the death of a loved one. Psalm 23 is a hymn that I have sung more than any other at funerals. It is the passage I have read more than any other at the bedside of someone dying. 
And we often think it comes from David, but he got it from Jacob. The Lord is my shepherd. That one sentence encapsulates so much of the hope and the comfort that Jacob had to look forward to in faith. To the coming kingdom of his shepherd king. The ups and the downs of this life. Well they're the same as the ups and the downs that Jacob faced. He lost loved ones. He moved around a lot. He knew both wealth and poverty. Jacob had been led beside still waters and he had walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But through it all, and especially now at the end of his life, he looks back and he can do no more than say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who has led and guided me. The one who has protected and preserved me. The one who has faced down wild beasts on my behalf. Who's made sure I have everything I need. I've never known want because the Lord is my shepherd. And he provides, protects and guides me. These are words of a man who looks forward in faith. And I hope we can say the same today. In fact, we can say it with increased certainty because we know the Lord Jesus who described himself as that shepherd. Jesus knew what Jacob said. He knew what the Psalm of David said. And he said, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Friends, do you look forward in faith? With your faith well and truly placed in the good shepherd who laid down his life for your sake? Are you living each day of this life by faith in him? Are you looking forward in faith to his coming kingdom? He is good and he is kind. He is a shepherd to his sheep. I want to move on to the second verse. And this one is a wee bit shorter. It comes from Joseph. After the death of their father, the the brothers become scared. They're scared that Joseph has been kind to them just for the sake of their father. But now that Jacob has died, they're worried that Joseph will finally bring revenge upon them. But then we come to what I think is perhaps one of the greatest and most helpful verses in all of the Bible. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. I'm going to read from verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, To save many people alive. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. This helps us both look backwards and look forwards in faith. Trusting in the goodness of God. It brings a a great deal of hope and comfort to anybody who's ever been wronged. And haven't we been wronged in this life? 
Haven't we been hurt? It tells us that a great future lies ahead for all who believe in Jesus. It doesn't negate the evil actions of human beings. The brothers were evil and they did evil and they meant it for evil. They were acting in an evil way. But Joseph says, that's between you and God. He can see that in their actions, God was working for good. The theologian R.C. Sproul uses a, a picture of a river for this doctrine. It's really the doctrine of providence. It's really how God keeps the world going. You can think about a river. It, it flows from the mountains down to the sea. And all along the course of the river, it's joined by little tributaries and streams. Smaller rivers that, that flow into it. And Sproul says, that's like the providence of God. It's joined by all these, these actions of human beings. The, the evil actions of men are added in. And they're not insignificant. But they all come together to, to flow into this grand river of God's providence. And it's God who's directing the path. He directs all things towards the end that he will bring them to. Men can and do commit evil deeds. But God simply takes them and turns them into good. That does not absolve people. People are still guilty of their sin. Only trusting in Jesus can remove our sin from us. If someone refuses to repent, they will face the wrath of God. But that doesn't stop God using their actions to work his good. Joseph's brothers are a great example of this. And Judas Iscariot is another. Think about the evil actions of Judas Iscariot. He was used by God to bring about the good news of the gospel in the death of Jesus. And so I hope you're hearing this being spoken into your life today because there are things that are happening around you that are out of your control. I know that. And you might feel as if you've been beaten up and thrown into a pit. But friends, what the Bible is telling us today is that God can use that very same thing for your good. Living by faith in God means looking forwards and backwards in faith that God is doing something good. He did it through Jesus to bring us into an everlasting relationship with him. And so we can pray, thy kingdom come. And we can pray it without any fear of losing out because God is always for us. He is always with us. He is always working for our good. And ultimately, the kingdom of the good shepherd is the only one that matters. You won't lose out if Jesus returns tomorrow. It's great hope that Jesus would return. And we can look forward in faith. Just like Jacob and Joseph did. They couldn't wait for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we look forward to see through Jesus the coming of the new heavens and new earth.
where righteousness dwells. What a hope, what a promise to carry us through the week that lies ahead, the month that lies ahead, the year that lies ahead, and even all the way to glory. Let me pray for us.